we're going to do is going through a series on the, the process of change. And last week, Greg talked about what is repentance and how do we avoid it. So he talked about a uh, pendulum swing. And so uh, if we go to the first slide. <laughs> if you recognize one of these things, it's called Newton's Cradle, uh, otherwise known as the little ball thing that goes back and forth forever <laughs> on your desk. And the way Newton's cradle works is whatever end you start on, when you lift up that ball, the kinetic energy passes through all the rest, and from one end, the whole thing goes back and forth nonstop. And that's what the cycle of religious, religion and rebellion does, is we just go back and forth between rebelling against God's authority and then trying to earn his love. And repentance is something stopping that motion. It's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit gripping your heart and stopping the momentum. You can't stop it. He does it. And we avoid, we avoid repentance. We avoid him uh, when we try to keep earning God's love and when we try to buck or avoid his authority. And so what we're going to look at today is how you repent. So Pastor Greg talked about what repentance is. Today we're going to talk about how you repent and what it looks like for the Father to grab your heart and stop that momentum, because you can't repent without it. A broken toy can't fix itself. You can't stop swinging unless the Father intervenes and grabs a hold of your heart. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I feel a little vulnerable talking to you about it for a couple reasons. One is uh, I'm aware that over the years, uh, my sermons tend to be little kind of downers. <laughs> uh, if anybody who's reading between the lines, you realize that when you preach enough, all we're doing is just working out our misbelief and insecurities in front of you. <laughs> just been working out my religiousness in front of you. So sorry about that. Uh, but um, my sermons in the past have always been a little, little death, not a lot of resurrection. And I'm feeling insecure because mostly what I'm talking about today is death. So come die with me. <laughs> um, I firmly believe in my heart that it's death that leads to life. Right. I really want to communicate that from the start. So uh, I think I'm going to get a little emotional. I might cry. Uh, this is a very, uh, uh, an issue very close to my heart in my relationship with the Lord. And so... In my love and passion, I might sound a little heavy, but this is life-giving to me, and I want to say that from the outset, is that, uh, is that this, is about, this is about life, but you can't, you can't skip over death to be raised into new life. Um, personally, I find this a very moving topic because when I reflect on my life, my relationship with the Lord started in the midst of great grief with my parents' divorce. I was raised in the church, but I decided to follow Jesus after all of that. And so grief and repentance and sorrow were the first ways I related to God. And I consider that a gift. I consider it a real gift uh, because repentance is not a thing I do to get to God. Repentance is a thing I do to find my Father. It's not, repentance is not what I have to do to get near him. 
I find him in it. He's not on the other side. He's in the grave with me. And then we find his heart and he finds ours and we fall in love with him. And there's joy with mourning and beauty for ashes and all of those amazing things. And so um, moving to Canada, um, my family's history, and then really uh, repenting of how much my Americanness influenced my faith. I know that might sound a little silly, and I think I've mentioned it before in other sermons, but I want you to know I, that was uh, this unholy marriage of church and state in my heart. The Lord has called me to repentance over and over and over again, and I hate mixing the two. And uh, so these things are just deeply personal, and I'm really thankful that my relationship with the Lord also includes resurrection and life and faith. But this is just especially special to me and meaningful because I've met my father here. And I really want you to meet your father here too. So what we're looking at today, like I said, is contrition. And contrition is just a cool Bible word for godly sorrow. Contrition is a moment. Contrition is a process. But contrition can't be skipped over on the way to repentance. And it's an act of God. So you have and I have a way to respond to that. But contrition is something, it's a godly sorrow that only the Father can produce. You can't manufacture it on your own. You are doomed to an endless cycle of religion and rebellion until the Father intervenes and makes your heart contrite. And then you repent. Uh, so if you could open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, 11 to 32. We're going to look at the story of the prodigal son. I want to read uh, 2 Corinthians 7.10, and I want you to keep that in mind, this verse I'm about to read as we go through the prodigal son. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Let me read that one more time. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. 2 Corinthians 7.10. So what we have in this story of the prodigal son, we're actually going to read it together, should be up on the, the projector, is uh, we have a father and we have two brothers. And what's helpful about this story is you can really identify yourself in it. So um, that Newton's cradle is helpful because it's nice to know what side you start on. So I'm the religious type. I like doing good things. Doing good things makes me feel good. And I like working hard. And I have lots of opportunity to work hard these days with a family. And so at the end of the day, I start to think to myself, wow, I've been working hard. Loving my family super well. And the minute I start to feel prideful, like somehow my righteousness, my goodness is built on my work, I know sin is around the corner. So when you and I read this story, I hope you see yourself as the older religious son and as the rebellious younger son, because you're both. 
Congratulations. But it's helpful to know that you start on one side or the other. It's a cycle that leads to death. So I used to take a little bit of pride in being religious. I used to think, okay, religion's bad. Being religious, like performance-driven in the heart, earning God's love, controlling relationships. I thought, that's like a little better than rebellion, right? Because rebellion's like drugs and just bad stuff, <laughs> right? Uh, so I, pr I still prided myself a little bit on being good. It was the better, it was the lesser of two evils. Like that's somehow a good rationale or something. Um, so it's helpful to know whether you start religious or rebellious in Newton's cradle, but it's also helpful to know you're both. Now, I personally think being religious is worse because I just get to hide my wickedness from you in good things. And then I'm like an empty grave. And then sin is just right around the corner. I think religion's a little more dangerous than rebellious. And I, I think uh, the story illustrates that a little bit. There's only one son in the story that ends up repenting. It's not the religious one. So I want you to read the story. I want you to find yourself in it. Uh, I want you to realize that you are both religious and rebellious and that there is no repenting without contrition, godly sorrow, and it is act of the Father to grab you by the heart and stop that momentum. So let's read together. The parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between the two of them. Not long after that, the younger son got, all, got together all he had, sorry, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole county, country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out as a citizen to the country uh, to send him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned and against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, doing good work. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slain for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property and prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to be celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So we have a story of a young man who says to his father, I want my half of the estate, which was rather insulting because usually the son gets that when the father dies. So dad, you're not dying soon enough for me. I want my money. And then he goes and lives a wild and crazy life. And then his money dries up or things go poorly. There's a famine in the land and he ends up living with pigs. And then he can't even eat pig's food. Can't even eat pig's food. And then he realizes something. Hmm. My, my father's hired servants, even they had it better than this. Even they had it better than this. And so he thinks to himself, well, I've kind of broken relationship with my dad. If I go back, maybe, maybe he'll let me work in the house and I can pay off my debt. So what we have is a son on Newton's cradle who started with rebellion and is ready in full swing to religion. I took the money and I blew it. That was bad. How do I make it up? I know. I'll go be a servant. I'll go work it off. Religion, rebellion. Religion, rebellion. He's about to enter that swing. The swing you and I are in all the time. And the older brother remains back, working hard, feeling bitter about what's to come. Because he doesn't get contrition. He doesn't understand repentance. He actually doesn't understand his identity. That would be the real issue, the fundamental issue. So here's the father, here's the two sons. One's going from rebellion and swinging into religion. And so here's what's important to know about uh, contrition or godly sorrow. When I say it can't be skipped, what I mean is, is you need to let the feeling hit you. And you need to realize a debt is owed. So I have, uh, I work in a program at my school and uh, it's uh, with students who oftentimes have some behavioral problems. I thoroughly enjoy it because I only have two kinds of students. I have religious ones and I have rebellious ones. So funny to me. Uh, and I can, uh, I can tell when the religious ones are trying to be cool and like warm up to me. Like I want, I, I want to relate to them. And I tell them this up front. I go, if you get that Mr. Morgan <laughs> gives a crap and you get your high school diploma, this was a good year. You know, this is where these kids are at, just graduate. And uh, if you believe those two things, this has been a good year. And so sometimes some students warm up to me and, uh, and then they try to ask me for little favors. 
They try to think they can get an inside edge and I'll treat them better. Like cut them a little slack maybe. And I get other students who just outright call me a bad name and run out of the room, <laughs> which is just amusing. Uh, but the tricky thing for me is I'm trying to relate to them sincerely. More importantly, I'm a minister of reconciliation. I'm trying to teach them how to repent. And so I feel really vulnerable because I got the one student who's coming at me and, and he looks like he's trying to relate and I go, oh, it's working. Oh, he wants to get to know me. Like we're going to have a relationship, not just functional. And it, ah, he's trying to use me. Sick. And then got the other student, and I'm just trying to like, put your phone away. <laughs> and they put it on their desk. No, in your backpack. And then they put it in their pocket. No, in, like put your phone in your backpack. <laughs> just do what I say for five minutes. Maybe you'll graduate. The best news for you is to do whatever I say for the next 80 minutes. And it's so hard for them. It's so hard. So I only really expect 30 minutes of obedience. <clears throat> and then when they don't like it, they run away. They avoid me. And if they think they can get an edge and earn my love, they'll try that too. And I just feel vulnerable because of what I really want to do is relate to them sincerely and teach them how to relate. Like, I, I love history, right? Um, but I'm not teaching them about history. That's not what's going on. History is the context, the best context, for teaching them how to relate to others, to me, and they don't know it, but God. That's mostly what I'm doing. That's mostly what I'm spending my energy on and why I'm tired at the end of the day. And, uh, and I feel vulnerable. I feel really vulnerable. And I really want to be close to my students. Like I want them to trust me. And I want to know that I can trust them. And I want them to know that I totally get that like their mom just died in prison. True story. And they need to obey me. We can live in the tension of both those things. We can, and we do all the time. But they need to do what I say for the 80 minutes they're in my room. And I care deeply about all the junk that's going on in their lives. So, this is you and I. The Father is not some distant, arbitrary entity who has rules for you to follow. He is a being who wants to connect with you. And when you try to control the relationship and earn his love, you use him. I use him. And when you're rebellious, you say, your son died for me? No thanks, I got something better. Contrition, godly sorrow, is the heartfelt clarity of the mind, impact of the Holy Spirit. You have violated God's law by trying to use it to get what you want from him. You have violated God's law 
by disobeying it. And you have broken relationship with your father. And you have hurt another human being in many cases. You can't skip that moment. When that moment comes, don't avoid it. Don't work your way out of it. Let it sit on your heart and let it hurt. Remember, 2 Corinthians 7.10, it leads to life, not death, but you need to feel the death. You can't skip over that moment. And then you need to know that restitution needs to be made. That there is a cost to your selfishness. And someone needs to make up for that. And then you realize it can't be you. Like, there's not enough you could do to make up for the consequences of your selfishness. And you sit back and you go, wow, I am a sinner. And I have broken relationship with my father and my family and his people. I have violated his law. What am I going to do? Oh, dear God, I am wicked. Don't skip that moment. It's hard. Don't skip that moment. In godly sorrow, that moment leads to life and reconciliation. In worldly sorrow, it just leads to more work, more anxiety, more performance. So back to my students. When my students do something to rude, you know, they're rude to each other, their language is foul, they tell horrible jokes, and they think it's all funny, but you can see it it wounds each other. When they do these things, um, I know that restitution needs to be made. So I take them out in the hallway, and, uh, and I, again, I have two kinds of students in that moment. I have the one who goes, I'm sorry you hurt your feelings. Here's your thing back. <laughs> you couldn't more remove yourself <laughs> from the situation. Like, I guess you got your feelings hurt. Here's this. And then I say, is there anything else you'd like to say to them? And there's just no empathy. No empathy. That's not contrition. That's not godly sorrow. If you're talking to your girlfriend and you have a hard moment and you shoot your mouth off and you say something dumb, don't say, oh, I'm sorry you got your feelings hurt. Here's some flowers. (laughs) Like, worse. (laughs) Like, what do you... Like, wow. (laughs) Just, like, it's a relationship, right? There's two of you. (laughs) Like, own the fact that you were a jerk. (laughs) Have some empathy. That's not contrition. Contrition is not simply acknowledging that you did something wrong, but not caring that you wronged someone. You can't just buy, that's religion, you can't just buy off someone's feelings. 
That's not contrition. You're not actually sorry. Then I have the other student who's good at looking sad. Really good. Oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Morgan. I did it again. Like, oh, I just, I'm just it's such a bad habit. I'm so sorry. What are you going to do about it? I don't know. <laughs> no concept that something needs to be, they need to take a step and make things right. Contrition is the presence of empathy and restitution. Contrition is both things. It's an act of God. It's the intervention of the Holy Spirit. But there's a couple signs for you and I to help us know we're there. You feel empathy and you want to make things right. Now, you know that your empathy and your amends aren't enough. But they're very faith-filled, helpful, godly signs that the Holy Spirit has gripped your heart. And you're sorry for what you did. And usually what that means is pausing in that moment with that person or with your father and letting those feelings weigh on you and absorbing them and feeling them. I think our culture spends a lot of time, I do this, trying to manage our emotions rather than finding a new heart in the peaks and the valleys. Contrition is that unavoidable step to repentance and new life that you could turn away from it, but it forces you to find a new heart in the valley. And you can't skip over that. You just can't avoid it. So like our students, like the prodigal son, we are both things and we need an intervention. I love verse 17 to 20. I think this highlights that moment for us. He says, it says, when he came to his senses, interesting, when the son came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Was the son contrite when he realized his condition in the pigsty? I don't think so. Was the son contrite when he said, maybe I can work it off? No. You know when the son became contrite? I think it's when he got up and he walked back to his father. Don't turn away from the father. That's not repentance. That's not contrition. That's not godly sorrow. Turn to the father in your vulnerability and in your selfishness and trust that in his goodness and in his greatness, he might forgive you and not condemn you. This was Isaiah's experience, a prophet of the Lord in the presence of God, and he sees the holiness of God, and he goes, oh, dear Lord, I am a man of unclean lips. I'm going to die. And then the angel grabs these coals, which represent death, and bring them to Isaiah, and instead of killing him, which is what he knew he deserved, it cleansed his lips. The prodigal son 
was contrite, had godly sorrow when he decided to trust the Father and return home. And what was the result? Did the father sit on the porch and wait for the son to make the long walk up the driveway, tisking him as he came? No, no, the father saw the son all the way down the road and said, I'm coming to you. I see that you're returning. I've got you. I'll come to you. You don't have to walk the whole way up to the house. You trusted. You returned home. And then how does the father treat the son? The son thinks, maybe I'll be a servant. No, he says, you're my son again, and we party because you never stopped being my son. See, that's what the father does that you can't do, is he sees us from a long ways off. He knows the price that has to be paid. And he says, I love my children. And they can't pay that. But if they turn to me, if they're sorry, if they feel sorrowful for their sin, they allow me to work that through in their heart and they receive my fatherhood and they receive their sonship. Then I will be their God and they will be my people. There was no coming home until the son realized he broke relationship with the father, but decided to turn to him, not away from him. And so it's sad what the older brother's response was. The older brother actually turned away from the father and said, what have we been doing here this whole time? What, like, wasn't, wasn't this about the work we did together? And the father goes, no, you've been my son the whole time. Of course everything I have is yours, because you're my son, not because you're a good worker. Everything belongs to the prodigal son, because he's my son, and he trusts me, he's turned back to me, not because he squandered it. Contrition, godly sorrow means I no longer identify with my rebellion, and I no longer identify with my religion, and I identify with myself as the son of the living God. And as I'm keenly aware of my sin and my selfishness, and as I'm sorry for what I've done, the Father sees that I've turned from a long ways off and comes running. <laughs> comes running. And it's beautiful. The Son did not go through contrition to find his Father. The Son found his Father in contrition. Do not turn away from that moment, I implore you. Let the weight of your selfishness rest on your heart and suffer a little. Acknowledge that you violated God's law and you've broken trust with another person. Turn to them and your father and say, woe is me. What can I do to make this right? And the father says, ah, that's why I sent my son. Because you, my children, can't pay the price that's actually required for your wickedness. So I sent my son to do it for you.
when you are contrite, when you have experienced godly sorrow, when the Holy Spirit has gripped your heart and ceased the pendulum swing, turned to him in vulnerability, and respond to him like a son, not a servant. You're a son. You're not earning back your sonship or, or being a daughter. You are his daughter. You are his son. Return to your father in trust. Worship team, please come up. I'm going to pray for you. And uh, my prayer for you is this. Sometimes it's tempting to be able to, in a moment, know how to articulate where you are in the pendulum swing. Oh, I'm, well, I'm a religious person, so I probably started with religion, and I rebel. You know, and then you, like, start getting your mind involved. That's not what this is about. My prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit grips your heart, and you feel the weight of your sin, and then when you turn to your Father, you find his embrace from a long ways off. Holy Spirit, would you come and do the work you can only do? Jesus, thank you for paying the price we cannot pay. Father, thank you for opening your embrace from a long ways off. Let us not pass from this moment. Holy Spirit, give us empathy and sorrow for violating your law and breaking relationship with other people. And in our humility and our vulnerability and our brokenness, let us turn to you and find repayment and love and reconciliation. Thank you that godly sorrow does not lead to death. It leads to new life, a new heart, better desires. And thank you so much that contrition isn't the thing we do to find you. We find you in contrition.